Welcome to Orioles on the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And we have a lot to get into tonight as we take questions from our listeners in one of our final episodes of 2023. We're also going to get into a recent move the Orioles made, acquiring right-handed pitcher Jonathan Heasley from the Kansas City Royals. But first, before we dive into tonight's show, we have a new well- member of our Patreon community to welcome. And with that, I'll turn it over to Bob. Yeah, I guess I'll deliver the news as I've been delivering the mail this Christmas season. Um, Brian Keston, it looks like, is the newest member, and he signed up for a year up front. We love to see it. Uh, welcome, Brian. And, uh, you know, he gets to join our, our new Discord channel, but you do not have to be a patron to join. So if you want to go to our Patreon.com just to check it out, even if you're not a patron member, you can join the Discord and get in on the action over there. And as a reminder, you can sign up at the three, five, and ten dollar levels of Patreon right now. At the five and ten dollar levels, you will have access to exclusive daily coverage, including our soon to be released top fifty prospects countdown. We're gonna roll that out sometime in January. And then at the paying levels, there's a new perk coming your way, which we're gonna announce on our show next week. So you're gonna to want to stay tuned for that. In the meantime, though, we'll talk about Big on-field news that the Orioles made in the past week were on-field news. I wouldn't say it's big, as they acquired right-handed pitcher Jonathan Heasley from the Kansas State Royals in exchange for right-handed pitcher Cesar Espinal. Heasley, who will turn 27 next month, has a 5.45 ERA in 36 career big league games across parts of the last three seasons. Going back to 2021, he looked like one of the Royals' top pitching prospect breakouts after a solid season at AA Northwest Arkansas, but he has struggled to capture that success since then while pitching primarily in the major leagues and the high minors. Dig into his stuff a little bit, and it is admittedly intriguing. A fastball that consistently sits in the mid-90s to go along with a four-pitch mix that includes a curveball, a changeup, and a slider. For right now, it looks like the Orioles are bringing him in to add extra depth to their organization, as Heelsey does have one minor league option remaining. He also, as I mentioned earlier, has bounced back and forth between the minor leagues in the last couple of years. Currently, the Orioles' 40-man roster sits at 38 players. So, Nick, I'll start with you here. What are your thoughts on this move, and can Heelsey have some sort of role for the Orioles in 2024? I think that, zooming out a little bit, this is the type of trade where my response is, regardless of who the pitcher coming to Baltimore is, my response is the same, that I think it's a fantastic trade. Not because like I think Heasley's going to be Yinyar Cano 2.0. That's not why. It's not because I think the Orioles are going to sit here and like maybe he just start throwing a sweeper last year. Like They're going to turn that sweeper into some elite pitch or they develop this changeup and he's this stud fastball changeup reliever. Maybe even he wins a, a rotation spot as like the fifth guy. Like I don't think I don't know if any of that's going to happen. He's, he better not be a starter on this team in this rotation. But you know, there's a chance he could. Doris could try to slip him through waivers and he gets claimed, or there's a chance he gets shelled in spring and he gets sent to Norfolk and he's cut before too long because he gets shelled in Norfolk. I don't know. All that's probably likely. In the end, this could be an absolutely nothing move. But you traded away an 18 year old pitcher who spent the last two years in the DSL, like maybe he becomes a contributor in four or five years. I don't know about you guys, but like I recognize the name Cesar Espinal from just looking at DSL box scores, but 
I don't know a single thing about him, like his stuff or anything. Haven't heard anything about him. Nobody's talked about him. Um, you know, so as far as like Heasley's concerned, clearly the Orioles saw something in him that they like. Maybe he starts in Norfolk while they tweak his stuff. And two months into the season, you know, when small injuries start to pile up, fatigue starts to settle in with some of the arms, and you need that other option to come up. And he's doing well in Norfolk. Maybe the Orioles have put a little magic touch on him, and he can be a productive bullpen arm for you. If not, again, it costs you an 18-year-old Dominican Summer League pitcher. And like looking at his steamer projections for Heasley, that is, I mean, steamer kind of likes him. Like 37 innings, a 4.73 ERA, 0.0 F4. So like, you know, right at league average guy. But like, if that's the kind of guy that helps you work through some injuries is an up and down guy, he's got that option. Like Zach said, I think that turns out to be a great trade. Every move doesn't have to be a grand slam front page move. This organization we know kind of massages those fringes of the roster pretty hard. Um, and they're going to keep doing that all year. And Heasley's one of those guys. So I do this trade a hundred out of a hundred times, to be honest. Yeah, I think I agree, first of all, because Espinal, yeah, like Nick said, I'd seen the name, recognized it from looking at the box scores, but I didn't know the guy. <laughs> and if we don't know who a guy is in the Orioles minor league system, then, I mean, it's not impossible that one could slip through, a gem could slip through the cracks, but uh, I feel like we're not, we won't miss too much there. And yeah, it's the option. It's It's interesting because we were just talking, the patrons, well, I can't remember if it was the WhatsApp or the or the Discord, but we were just talking about how the bullpen could get interesting for the Orioles this year because there's a lot of guys who don't have options anymore. And Michael Eisen company, they don't seem like the type of front office that necessarily wants that in their in their bullpen. You want some guys that can go up and down, some spots that you can maneuver with. And then what do you know? They acquire a relief pitcher or a pitcher with an option. So that was, that was interesting. I like that. I mean, I saw Alex fast had some interesting stuff to say about his stuff plus and, and his pitch mix. And you, I feel like anytime a pitcher is quite acquired, not even just Orioles anywhere, there's always something you can find where there's, Ooh, if, if he could do this, or this is interesting, maybe they can, you know, there's always that. And I'm sure that's what the Orioles are looking at too. But yeah, I mean, he could either not make the team and get, waved and claimed off the 40 man at some point in spring training or he could you know make it through spring training look impressive make it was the last reliever that makes the team and you know make his mark maybe be an up and down guy anywhere in between but yeah I, this is what the orioles do and this is how you build a bullpen other than signing the craig kimbrels and other you know expensive established relievers is you throw darts and you see what sticks, and the Orioles have done it in the past, and, and it's worked out pretty well. So I think that will continue no matter how good the team is overall. I sort of see Heasley um, slotting into a Spencer Watkins-type role where he's a right-handed pitcher up and down who could possibly be a spot starter for you or he could come up and give you some out innings out of the bullpen if the guys that you have are just tired. And if you look at his numbers, there's two things that jump out at me. Number one, the fastball velocity averaging just under 95 miles per hour last year at the major league level. You know, guys that throw mid-90s from the right side are not a rarity at all in today's game, but it at least gives you something to work with. And then on the other side, his home run to fly ball rate last year at both levels, the major leagues and AAA, was high. It was astronomically high. 
at the major league level at 22.7% in just 15 innings. And then 16.7% in 94 and two thirds down at AAA Omaha. There's room for that to come down a little bit. So if you want to look at an area where his numbers could be better next year, it's on having more luck with the fly balls. I think for the Orioles, the question is going to be, can you get him back to where he was in 2021 when he was striking out a lot of batters at AA? He had a K per nine that year of 10.25. And for the most part, he hasn't really come, other than a brief stint in Omaha in 2022, hasn't really come close to approaching that again. So I think you have to wonder, can the Orioles find something that's going to allow him to generate more swings and misses? Yeah, it's, you know, it's something to talk about right now because nothing else is happening. Hopefully the bigger moves do happen, but like, if anything, it gives you something interesting to look at here in December as we're approaching Christmas time with really no other news going on. Like, you know, the Orioles do have a good track record though, and they all don't work out. But like I said, if, if anything, if at worst, he's just depth down in Norfolk and can give you a week or two of, a couple of good relief outings in case of an injury or the bullpen's just taxed and needs a break and he's the extra arm. If that's all he gives you again, it's a great trade because you gave up someone who I, I don't think you know, this system is going to really miss at all. So, and with that, now we're going to jump into the mailbag portion of this show. And at some point during the mailbag, we are going to touch on the big news of the week, which is the Orioles and the state agreeing to a lease extension for Oriole park at Camden yards. For now, though, we're going to focus on on-field stuff. I'm going to start with this question from Justin, who wants to know, what is the bare minimum thing left the Orioles could do this offseason for you to be satisfied? He says for him, it would be adding another solid bullpen arm. Are you fine with the rotation as is? And if it's all in-house starters, who are your five? So a few things to pick apart there. I'll start with Bob. Well, the bare minimum I could be happy with is I want a starting pitcher um, and not just a Kyle Gibson type, not just a back end innings eater type. I feel like we have those in house now between Tyler Wells, Dean Kramer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know who those et cetera are, who Bruce Zimmerman, Cole Irvin, don't forget Cole Irvin. Um, so I, I want to either sign or trade for a mid rotation or better starter that's the bare minimum for me. They could obviously do more than that. Uh, are you fine with the rotation as is? I mean, I think we would be okay if we kept it as is, but I I personally would not be fine with that. Um, but if we did keep it as is, who is it? Our starting five, I'd say Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, John Means, Dean Kramer, and D.L. Hall. For me, I see D.L. Hall winning that fifth spar uh, starter role, and then Cole Irvin could be the swingman kind of spot starter, long reliever type, but between D.L. Hall and Cole Irvin for that fifth spot. I like it. Uh, I'm going to dive into D.L. Hall more later on, so I'm not going to expand too much with this answer, but I will say that uh, this is a good setup for a lot of other questions. Um, the bare minimum, yeah, get a starter, get a, a back end of the rotation type starter, someone that strengthens the end of the rotation. I think I said it last week, like, I'm fine with Lucas Giolito. I know he's pumping that name up. I'm fine with a name like that. Uh, a veteran guy with some upside, if you can fix him a little bit. That's like the bare minimum, though, that I think you need. Um, I think you have the bullpen pieces. You need help in the rotation. 
And that includes like a higher floor type signing because John means in the last, over the last four years has what barely over 200 innings. Like his health is kind of scaring me more and more as the season approaches, even though there's been no updated news, like there's no new reason to be scared, but just thinking about getting through this season means is, is a bigger concern of mine. I think moving forward, am I fine with the rotation? No. Um, but for the sake of the question, assuming we're only going with in-house options, it's it's Bradish Grayson means Dean Kramer, and I'm going Tyler Wells there. Like maybe the Orioles have him on a program where they're getting his endurance up, and he won't hit that wall for what a third year in a row. If not, just get him to the trade deadline. Then you make the move, and you can bump into the bullpen. But hopefully, like the Orioles don't go into the season with just the current options on their roster because you you get they need something. Yeah, bare minimum for me would be kind of like Nick said, someone who's going to go at the back of your rotation where the ceiling is higher than what someone like Kyle Gibson last year or Jordan Lyles the year before would give you. Would I be okay with the current rotation as is? I think they can make it work for half a season. But I would not count on the current group getting you through the regular season into the playoffs and winning in October. Um, And then if I had to go out of the current group, I would go the exact order that Nick had. And the reason for that is that Tyler Wells was arguably the Orioles' best starter in the first half of the season last year. Maybe even not arguably. He probably just was. Mm -hmm. And then he suddenly hit a wall. If you could get even just one more month out of him before he hits that wall this year, that would be really helpful. Um, I still kind of get the sense and feel like he might be better off in the bullpen. But if we're going to go with five pitchers that are there now, I like the upside of Wells for at least the first half of the season and see what he can give you. All righty. Uh, Brian has a question. It says, which do you think is more advanced, the hitting or pitching development program? Holt, Chris Holt, got the pitching program started right away. Hitting seemed to start a year later. Now it seems like hitting is ahead, but that could just reflect draft investments. What do you think, Zach? I think that Brian's right that the pitching probably did get started ahead of the hitting. Um, And there's a few reasons for that. I think one pitching development in general is just harder. And the Orioles had not had a good track record of it for a long time. But if I had to say right now, which is ahead, I would lean towards the hitting side because if you look at the young hitters coming up, Gunnar Henderson did struggle for a little bit last year. Adley Rutzman struggled a little bit when he got here, but for the most part, the guys coming out of your farm system that you want to work, Rutzman and Henderson included, are hitting. When they are given extended opportunities, they hit, they stick in the lineup. And we've seen some success on the reclamation project side of things. Uh, you know, Ryan O'Hearn was very good last year. And although I know that Adam Frazier was a divisive name, maybe among Orioles fans with his abilities, I didn't know that he had that kind of power stroke. I wouldn't count on him coming back here and doing it again next year. But for that one year you had him, you got it out of him. Whereas on the pitching side, I don't know yet that we've seen the Orioles bring in a starter that maybe outperformed expectations. You could kind of argue that Jordan Lyles did in 21. But I think the year that they got from Kyle Gibson last year was about the year you would have expected. What would probably pull pitching ahead of hitting, because I don't think the gap is very wide, what would probably pull pitching ahead of hitting is one of either Kyle Bradis and Grayson Rodriguez just becoming absolute hands down one of the best one-two combinations 
in baseball or those guys continuing to develop at a steady pace and then someone you bring in through trade or through free agency being fixed and emerging as a really good option. And I know that a lot of people right now are thinking about Dylan Cease and whether they could fix him after last year. That's just one name, though. Yeah, I think both are the best they've ever been in the history of the organization. I think, well, that's just plain to say because it's always going to get better pretty much. But I also think both are some of the best in baseball in their respective uh, categories. I know, you know, the Guardians, the Rays, Dodgers, they're top of the line pitching development. I think the Orioles are probably top five or top 10 uh, when it comes to pitching. But hitting, I feel like they might be the best in the game because, I mean, Anthony Santander didn't walk until this player development team came in. And now he is like really long at bats, found pitches off, has good walk rates. And I feel like his eye is only getting better and better. Uh, Like you said, Ryan O'Hearn, this is a guy that people scratch their head when we traded for him. It's like, what the heck you're paying? What was it? 1.7 million. This guy in arbitration to, go down and be emergency depth in AAA. Okay, that's weird. Uh, worked out pretty well. Uh, you see, it's not just the guys like that in the major leagues, in the minor leagues. Gunnar Henderson wasn't Gunnar Henderson until he had a couple of years in this player development system. Uh, and Samuel Basayo, Kobe May, like these guys are developing. The hit, the success rate and the hit rate is incredibly high right now. Hopefully it continues. But uh, yeah, what they're doing on the hitting side, I feel like it's unprecedented. And uh we can only hope that it continues. Yeah, that's, we're getting really spoiled uh, with the success rate of so many of, of these prospects, to be honest. I'm waiting for that to come, like, uh, fall back, you know, uh, regress a little bit there. But like you said, hopefully not. Uh, I do think the hitting development has been kind of far ahead of the pitching from the start. And because of, not when you just look at prospects, but like Bob was talking about, Santander. It's tremendous improvement at the major league level uh, over the last couple of years. And they've had some successes in the big league level with pitchers. Like Zach just mentioned Spencer Watkins. Maybe he's filling that role. Watkins was the guy who was on his way out of baseball when the Orioles brought him in. And was he great? No. Uh, but he was serviceable for a number of starts. Um, this year, we did see some pretty crazy development, I think, from pitchers like Kyle Bradish finishing in near the top of Cy Young voting. Grayson Rodriguez, of course, having his really dominant second half of the season. So we're starting to see the pitching catch up. Baseball America, you're looking at just the prospects, though. Baseball America had that article a couple of weeks ago, and it's you know looking at all areas, like different pitch types in all areas of pitching. Orioles pitching prospects kind of littered these lists of, you know, biggest fastball velo increases, most dominant lefties, most dominance versus lefties, righties. I mean, it broke it down by so many different stats and so many different pitch types, and it's Orioles pitchers everywhere on that list. Uh, now we're starting to see like more investment in pitching in the draft, and the scatter reports on all these guys are so similar. The international side of things, the scatter reports are so similar on so many of these guys. I think it just took them a little bit longer to find that formula that they like with the pitchers. And now they've got it and it's going to change. They're going to tweak it. But for right now, they found the formula that they like. And like now you're also drafting higher upside arms with like Baumeister, Kiefer Lord. And they're not afraid to dig deeper in these drafts and find guys like the Jacob Cravies and Nestor Hermans, these small school guys. And you're like, I get why they draft. We, we finally get our hands on some of the data and we're like, ah, that's why they drafted this guy. Even though 
some of these guys, you look on Baseball America's what top 500. Joe Doyle puts out what like top 600 or top 700 draft prospect list. These guys aren't on those lists because the Orioles don't care. Like they've got their formula, and if you fit their formula, welcome to the club. Uh, so I, I think we saw a big rise in the pitching development this year and next year. I've said it a couple of times. I think it really takes off, and you start to see more of that national respect for that that kind of baseball America started showing this offseason. Yeah, and I feel like with where the Orioles are most likely going to be picking from uh, this past year on, you know, the pitching, it, they might take some first-round picks with pitchers with uh, picking in the end of the first round. But moving on to a question from Ben here, who wants to know, how many bullpen spots do the Orioles give to guys with options? Like I said, we were talking about this. Feels like this year is a big year for lost flexibility in the bullpen which is great because it shows guys are more established, but what do you do when you go back to back days with short starts and you need some bullpen help? Nick. I don't have an exact number. I, I don't know, but obviously like, yeah, this organization, like I just said, they're, they're going to put the best arms in the bullpen pretty simple, but like the fringes of this roster are going to, they have to give you flexibility and they're going to do that. Like Nick Vespi, and we'll probably talk about him in a moment with another question. I think, Nick Vespi is a guy who's probably going to stick on this 40-man roster. Why? Because he has that option. Uh, is Nick Vespi going to be on the roster next year? Probably not when he doesn't have that option. Right? Um, yeah, that's unfortunately, I think guys, again, we'll talk about some of these in more detail later, but I do think guys like Michael Bauman, uh, Keegan Aiken, these guys that don't have options, some of them could be moved, I think, in smaller type deals uh, to make room for Hopefully better options than like a Jonathan Heasley. Uh, but yeah, it's if you don't have that option and you're a fringe roster guy, I'm sweating right now. Or I'm coming out spring training firing because I've got to really fight to, to keep that spot on this roster, I think. So I pulled up roster resource and I'm looking at the players that they list as either having zero options or NA, which I think means the player would have to agree to be optioned. So that's where someone like John means to belong. You know that that's not an issue with means. So I'm looking at a, the group right now, the guys that could stick on the opening day roster that have zero options. Cole Irvin, Jacob Webb, CNL Perez, Michael Ballman. I would guess that at least three of them are in the bullpen at the start of the year. So that's kind of where I would go with my baseline. And then Cologne, I think, would fall into that camp where he could refuse an option. So really at that point, you're looking at four guys out of your bullpen that don't have options. That's kind of where I would settle in. As for how that shakes out over the rest of the offseason, I don't know just yet because I don't know that I see a scenario where you have Jacob Webb and Mike Ballman and Tyler Wells all in the bullpen at the start of the year. And Ballman and Webb don't have options. So that's a, something you're, the world's going to have to consider. But I would say that you're going to start with at least three or four guys in the bullpen that don't have, don't have options. And I also am looking at this. I don't know if that includes Dylan Tate either, who I don't believe have, has options either. He has one option remaining, which is surprising. And, but if he's back and healthy and pitching great, he's one of those guys that you probably don't want to use an option on kind of, but yeah, at least he does have an option if you need to go that route, but it is, yeah. Between Bauman and Webb, I think at least one of those guys will probably be gone. I mean, what was it two years ago when Dylan, uh, not Dylan Tate, uh, Tanner Scott and Cole Saucer went? I think that was a trade that was because you wanted some flexibility in that bullpen. 
So yeah, I think you're going to probably see a spring training move or two that creates some a little bit of flexibility at the back end. We go a question now from Dr. 2K. In an effort to get starting pitching, which prospects would you trade to maximize prospect investment? I'm going to start with Bob on that one. It's tough. Um, for me, it's you're not getting Holiday, Mayo, or Basayo unless you're like make me a stupid offer that no one could possibly refuse. Anyone after that is on the table. Uh, as far as maximizing, I would say Westberg is not a prospect anymore, but maybe between Ortiz and Westberg, and I know we keep lumping them together, they're not really that similar of players, but maybe one of those, maybe um, Norby, I hate to say it, just because it's very crowded right there and defense is a, a bit of a step behind. And then maybe one of the outfielders between Fabian um, Beavers and Haskin and, and those types of guys. So, yeah, I think there's room between between those guys to go out and get someone pretty decent. And you can also mix in guys from the major league level as well. Yeah, holidays a no, obviously. Um, I'm not like 100% Mayo and Basayo are untouchable. But like, if it's Mayo, I do understand why they would trade him because I think the Orioles have put an extremely high price tag on him and they're going to refuse to budge on that price tag. And rightfully so. Like the biggest thing with Mayo is like, if I see one more person say they should trade Mayo because he's a right-handed hitter, I'm going to lose my mind. They didn't move the wall back 150 feet and make it the height of the green monster. Like we can calm down and have right-handed hitters in this lineup. Mayo's age, his performance, the hitting data, like all that makes him incredibly valuable, both in a trade and for this ball club. Uh, so with Basayo, I'm okay if they pull a major deal and it costs Basayo, but just like Mayo, like you better put a monster price tag on him and don't budge because he's 20 years old and in double A and putting up numbers that sometimes I can't even comprehend how good his 19. numbers are. Yeah, he's still 19. I'm making him older than he is. It's even more mind numbing some of the numbers that he puts up uh, with his age and his position. So. I would prefer to see both those guys in an Orioles uniform, and there are roles for them on this roster moving forward. I would say, I would think, you know, something popping up over here. I would have to imagine like you can have Kowser or Kerstad headline a package. Like they are MLB ready guys, and I know some people have kind of soured on Kowser because of that small sample size, but Kowser is the 14th ranked prospect in all the baseball and MLB pipeline. I think. I, I know there's a lot of people who have soured on him again, but like Kerstad's also the, like, what, 24th ranked prospect on MLB pipeline, I believe. Uh, both these guys are in like top 20, top 30. So they're legitimately some of the best prospects in baseball. And ideally, Kowser, in my opinion, ideally, Kowser starts to settle in next year. The power that the Orioles believe is there starts to shine. He can handle left field, he can play center field if you need to give Mullins a rest or if. God forbid he gets hurt again, has to miss some time. Kerstad, that power, I think a lot of teams are going to really fall in love with that. I think he could be a headliner. Like package Kerstad with, he's a top 100, top 20, top 25 prospect there. Package him with another top 100 prospect in, you know, a Connor Norby or Joey Ortiz or Jordan Westberg, who's already played a good bit in the majors. Add in a couple high ceiling DSL, FCL kids. And you can't tell me like that's a solid foundation for a trade 
for like any starter you want. Yeah. If you want a pitcher, Dean Kramer, McDermott, Povich, I'm fine with trading one of the prospect pitchers to get a proven guy. If you want to throw in Dylan Beavers or Matt Horvath, like, I don't know what that extra piece would be, but I think Kerstad and or Kowser headlining, Kerstad or Kowser headliner package uh, can get you a pretty good starter. Yeah, I agree. I could see a team being more interested in Kowser if they believe in the center field defense or if they believe it's at least passable for the time being and that if he eventually moves over to a corner, the bat's going to play there, which I think the bat is going to play in a major league lineup regardless of where he is. And then I would say that Joey Ortiz is another guy. If you want to look beyond those top three of Holiday, Mayo, Basayo, of someone who could really maximize the value of the trade because he is a very good, if not elite defender at a premium position in shortstop. And he has good batted ball data. He hits the ball hard. It, there's not a lot with Ortiz at this point that you can look at and say that he's not at least going to be a guy who sticks around the major leagues for a long time. Might not be a perennial all-star, but he's going to stick around for a long time and have a good career. So I would think the two potential up the middle prospects with the, some upside on offense is a great foundation for a trade. And then I would even say that if you want to make a package more enticing, guys that are a little overlooked right now, like Kyle Stowers could do that because if you're a bad team next year, what does it hurt to stick Kyle Stowers in right field for 60 games and have him D eight? another 40 and just to see what you have that something like that wouldn't mm -hmm. hurt. So I wouldn't sleep on wild cards like that as possibly making a trade package more appealing to a team. Well, I mean, they didn't give Ortiz a real number and he stayed in triple a all year. So I think we're overhyping Joey Ortiz a little bit. There's so calm down. Um, moving on to the next question from Vivek, uh, shout out Vivek, uh, just got married, uh, loyal patron and, uh, Longtime guest of the show. Uh, he has a question here. Looking at the current 40-man roster, who are some current candidates you do not expect to remain on the roster come opening day, Bob? Yeah, congratulations to Vivek. That was uh, awesome to see. It seemed like everything went well as I'm buying myself a little bit of time here. Look at the 40-man <laughs> roster. Uh, I definitely think Keegan Aiken, no options and no good, so probably not going to make it very far Bruce Zimmerman, I'd say, is towards the bottom of the barrel. Jonathan Heasley, this guy we just claimed. I heard about it somewhere. Um, he's probably, you know, close to going through another round of, of waivers at some point. Maybe on the offensive side, Sam Hilliard or Ryan McKenna, because they don't have options either, and I don't know if you can have both of them. Uh, so... Wait, does McKenna has? I don't think he does, right? I don't. I don't yeah, think that's so. yeah. I, I'm starting to lean McKenna, but once the season gets here, he might not be on the forty. Yeah, I think Bob pretty accurately uh, spotted the guys that aren't going to be on the forty man. The only other ones I would throw in there is that I do think the possibility of having to carry Webb, Ballman, and a couple of other right-handers on the major league roster could force the Orioles to make a tough decision, and then. In the infield, there is still that possibility that one of Ramon Arias, Jorge Mateo, or Joey Ortiz is moved in a trade this offseason. I don't think that is as big of a slam dunk as it's being made out to be, but it still seems like a realistic possibility that one of them is moved. 
Yeah, I don't have anybody new, I think, on my list. I didn't think about, like, trades. I just looked specifically at, you know, DFAs. But I don't see how Bruce Zimmerman survives another offseason, to be honest. And, and then he just had, what, core surgery or some type of midsection surgery or something. I, I just don't see how he survives another offseason. I'd mentioned Mike Bauman. I could probably see him being moved more so because he, he doesn't have options, right? So if he doesn't have options and you want to move him for a guy that maybe does or, or whatever, I think Bauman can probably get you a little bit more out there on the market for, to the right team that likes this stuff. And I'm really curious to know like how the Orioles view him uh, internally, to be honest. I have a sneaky feeling that if you're not a Keegan Aiken fan, you're probably going to be disappointed when he's on the roster next year. Um, maybe, hopefully, that's just like a reverse psychology thing to that he does get the boot. Um and yeah, either you're not going to keep McKenna and Sam Hilliard on this 40-man roster. So I think maybe they try to slip one of them through waivers. I don't know. But <clears throat> you can keep one, but I don't need two of them. So yeah, I think that's those are the, the obvious candidates there. Okay, now we'll go to Bobby. Hey, nice name. Do we see Mateo in the outfield more this spring training? And would that lead to him staying over Ramon Arias if it was between the two of them? And also... As a side note, will Jordan Westberg get some time in the corner outfield, do we think, in 2024, Zach? Yes, I suspect that Mateo is around. You are going to see him out in the outfield a little bit. I mean, the Orioles sort of moved in that direction a little bit last year by giving him some time in center field and apparently working him out in the outfield uh, during pregame or warm-ups. So that possibility is there. And then... Whether or not that makes him less expendable than Arias, I think, comes down to some other factors. Yeah, there's a little bit more with the bat to like about Arias. If they feel like the third base defense is going to bounce back next year, that could be another reason. But Mateo also has that speed factor. So while the outfield could be part of the answer there, I don't expect it to be the end-all uh, in the Orioles' decision of whether to keep Mateo over Arias. And then as for Westberg, yes, I would suspect that you try to do what you can to work him in the corner outfield because you made that part of his development in the minor leagues. And in theory, you would want to keep his hand in it. Maybe that means that he plays left field at some easier ballparks on the road to play left field. Um, but some way, in some way, shape, or form, I think they try to give Westberg occasional exposure to the outfield. Here's my thing with Mateo. I don't need him on this roster anymore. I don't. I know Mateo's stands are hardcore. Uh, I'm just not one. Like, I I don't need him playing in the outfield. Like, he barely cracks a 600 OPS the last couple of years. I think the defense is replaceable, and that's a real testament to his replacement options because Mateo's defense is good. The speed is what 99th percentile in baseball. That is great. I get that. I understand that. And he can I said right after the playoffs that yeah, having a player like Mateo on the end of this bench was fantastic. That's super valuable come the playoffs. But you know who can be that option for the Orioles at the end of this year if they're back in the playoffs? Enrique Bradfield Jr., the guy who was drafted with 80-grade speed, 80-grade defense. I don't need his bat to be ready by the end of the year for him to make a difference in, in wreck havoc. I think that roster spot can be better utilized with a higher offensive, more offensive power. Like Get, get rid of Mateo. Yes, give Westberg some time out in left field. He can play a very good second. He can play a very good third. He's athletic enough. 
I don't know about you guys, but for whatever reason, I've had this image stuck in my head whenever we talk about Westberg. I don't know why I got there, but for whatever reason, whenever I think about Jordan Westberg, I get like JJ, I think of JJ Hardy type player, but he's not that at all. He is super athletic, can super handle left field, even at home, I think, with, with some reps uh, and some practice, of course, but he can move around, gives you very good defense at multiple positions. You keep his bat in the lineup. And you put Joey Ortiz on the roster as the utility guy. He's got the defense to replace Mateo. There's still speed in this lineup. If Cedric Mullins is healthy, he can swipe bags. Gunner's like, what, 85th, 86th percentile in baseball and sprint speed. I think some of the backup op- outfield options are true center fielders like keep Ryan McKenna or even Sam Hilliard. Hopefully, Kowser breaks out. He can play center field for you as well. I don't know. I see. I understand the value that Mateo can bring. And I understand he, he can win you a couple of games there. He had his moments. I just think it's maybe I'm too harsh. Maybe I'm in the minority here, but I just think at this point, the Orioles have better options that they can move on from him. I'm not going to hear any, uh, anything from me. I, I agree with you. I predicted he would be non-tendered. So I'm surprised he's still here to this point. Uh, he does has does have value on a team. I just think the Orioles are past the point of needing said value. Uh, I agree with all your points there. I do think he'll probably, if he's still around in spring training, why not? I mean, throw him out there. You're going to at least see, try to squeeze every last bit of juice out of him. Uh, Jordan Westberg. Yeah, I agree. Like his defense is either better than I thought, or it improved a lot uh, the past year or two. Like, behind the scenes, uh, just missed my radar. Um, hit second base. He was fantastic at third base. He was solid. I feel like he could probably even stand out there at shortstop and be pretty serviceable. So I see no reason to believe why he couldn't go out in left field and be at least as good as Austin Hayes is. As far as range goes, I don't think he's going to have the arm that Austin Hayes does, but I feel like he should at least be able to be similar in covering the ground out there. So, yeah, why not? If you want to get that bat in the lineup more often with all the infield guys, potentially Jackson Holiday at second base, then yeah, I think he will see time in outfield. And if, if there's one person on this roster, honestly, that I, I think without knowing him like super detailed, obviously, but from the, the stories that we hear about Jordan Westberg from you know coaches and other players in this organization, I feel like if there's one guy on this roster right now that if you're going to keep on the roster and move him around those multiple positions – and it's not going to affect the bat at all. I think I have this feeling that it would be Westberg and he would bust his ass on a daily basis to be the best left fielder possible. Uh, so you're not worried about it, even if he's playing left field at home. I, I just get those vibes from Westberg as, as a, as a dude on the field. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I'll go to this question from Ben and Bob, you kind of give the pits at the top of every episode. So I think it's appropriate for you to answer this question first. <laughs> Why should we all join the On the Verge Discord and sign up to be patrons? Hold on. Let me get my salesman hat. No. Um, The patrons thing, it's, you know, if you want to support the show, if you enjoy the show, it just helps us be able to do a little bit more. And also, I think, you know, we've created, it's not really mostly because of us. It's people that have come in and helped us create incredible community of Orioles fans that are just it's almost like uh, the Orioles say when they draft these guys it's not just a town on the field these are great people like I want to talk Orioles 
and other stuff, anything uh, with these guys, with these people all the time. And uh, we do. And that's why we switched from the WhatsApp to the Discord, which you should sign up for the Discord because there is no patron barrier. Yeah, there's some Patreon patron exclusive channels that you might miss out on. Maybe that's another reason you want to sign up for the patron. But uh, Patreon, keep getting those words mixed up. But I want to I wanted to be able to try to, you know, grow that community and not just uh, have it just be the patrons. I want to try to to grow it and and have more and more people to talk uh, Orioles baseball with, especially since Twitter seems to be uh, falling apart quicker and quicker every day. Uh, started a Threads account for the podcast, so if you're on Threads, uh, go ahead and follow us over there. And uh, yeah, that's the pitch. Yeah, the the social media conversations are just a giant cesspool of um, just ignorance. And you you can block people, of course. You can mute people, of course. But uh, yeah, the discussions that go on in the Discord, you don't have to pay for the Discord. Just come and join. If you're looking for a place to talk baseball, to talk literally anything, I, we there are a couple of people who are not patrons that are probably the most active in the Discord channel now. And their knowledge of baseball is almost unmatched, I think, in my opinion. Uh, I love reading the chat. So, <clears throat> yeah, if, if you want, just want to avoid the cesspool and just have a getaway uh, to have, like, better, more fun conversations, check out the Discord. Link in the description. Do it. Question about the podcast structure in here as well. There could oh, be yeah. Some, yeah. some changes um, since we're joining Believe, the Believe Network, which we're happy to do. Um, there are potential changes for non-patrons. The Patreon channel RSS feed will still be the same, you know, hour, hour and a half long episode. But on the main feed, you might see once the new year hits, you know, multiple shorter episodes per week just to make it a little more consumable for your for your drive to work, drive home from work. And uh, yeah, we're just breaking it up to make it easier for everyone to digest it. But if you're a patron, we know you want the, the full hour to two hours, three hours, however long we end up going, uh, just straight into your veins. <laughs> All righty. So, uh, and yeah, don't be afraid to, you know, DM us. If there's anything you want to see, anything, any changes you want, anything you want us to talk about, hit us up. Um, on, we have like 900 social media accounts now, even though I just bash social media. Uh, uh, Mike, Mike has a question here. It says, what's lineup slot? Do you see holiday Cowser, gunner Bradfield, uh, Enrique Bradfield Jr. ending up in. Does your answer change if any of them were in a different system, Zach? So this is a great question because all four of them will probably, if they stick in this organization, will probably get the chance to lead off at some point. Gunnar already has. And so I really look at this group and I think that out of the four, all four of them are hitting within the top six of a major league lineup that they're in at the same time. I feel like Holiday is always going to be a top of the order guy. Gunner is going to be a top or middle of the order guy. And then Kowser could kind of be that wild card. He might make sense in leadoff some nights. He might make sense as low as fifth or sixth some nights, depending on the matchup. The one thing that I pretty firmly believe is that in any organization in baseball, Enrique Bradfield Jr. is being developed as a leadoff hitter because he has the prototypical leadoff hitter skill set. Great strike zone judgment. Good contact skills. Um elite speed. So in any organization in baseball, including the Orioles, he's being developed as a leadoff hitter. And if everything works out the way that we hope it will with Bradfield, he will be the Orioles permanent leadoff hitter once he 
arrives and gets settled in the major leagues. Yeah, that's the only one of those that I would say would be different in a different organization because he's a leadoff hitter, like you said, but maybe not for the Orioles uh, in uh, the mid to late 2020s. Um, Jackson Holiday, just perfect, absolutely perfect leadoff hitter. The same thing as Bradfield. He's fast, incredible, swing decisions, gets on base, but he also has a much better hit tool. He's going to have more power. So Holiday number one. I'd say Kowser is, I don't know if you want to lead off back-to-back lefties, but I think uh, both of those guys are going to get on base at an incredible clip. Kowser could be the great number two guy. Gunner, he's a three, three hitter. Again, that's lefty, lefty, lefty. You're probably not going to do that. Maybe put Adley second or something like that, but uh, he's a three or four hitter. Just he's going to punish the ball consistently as we saw him do last year. And Bradfield in this system, I, he probably is maybe you put him at eighth or ninth, depending on how the bat develops, just because he could turn the turn the lineup over, get that speed on the bases for the big guys coming up around the lineup again. But at the same time, you know, just pick names out of a hat. These guys are going to perform well on the field. Yeah, I got nothing new I can add to those two answers. I agree. Uh, I'll just go to the next question then from Ben who says, it's a couple parter here, what's the best Christmas gift the Orioles could give you? And I think the second part of this is for Bob specifically, so you can answer first. Uh, what is Christmas like as a mailman? Does it take away any of the magic or kind of nice to deliver exciting things to people? Um, maybe your first Christmas season as a mailman, it's like, oh, look, I'm like Santa Claus here. I'm, look, I'm doing all these nice things. By the, by the second or third year, you're like, Christmas sucks. <laughs> they should ban it. <laughs> no. Um, I still love Christmas, but only Christmas Day. There's no Christmas season to me anymore. It's I get punished for a month or two leading up to it. And then, hey, Christmas is great. Get to watch the kids open the gifts. But uh, yeah, Christmas. I can't wait to get another job and I can start to enjoy Christmas a little more again. Uh, as far as the first part of the question, now I have to go back and remember what it was. What is the best Christmas gift the Orioles could give us? Um, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Logan Gilbert, Brian, one of these guys, a starting pitcher, like we talked about earlier. Um, yeah, I'd love to see that big trade. I don't know if we're going to do an emergency podcast on Christmas, but I will definitely be happier if something like that comes across our newsfeed right around then. Yeah, I agree with Bob. Just bring in, uh, you know, that guy that's going to slot in at the top of the rotation. I think we can call the offseason a win. We can put all the speculation about trade packages to bed once and for all. But, Bob, I, I've got a question for you here. When are we going to get our own commemorative stamps for the podcast? <laughs> I can't even get a discount on stamps. I work at the post office. I don't know how much stamps are, to be honest with you. But uh, I'll put in a good word. <laughs> I don't know. They don't listen to... Anything we have to say about how the, the job can be done, so I doubt it'll work, but hey, can't hurt. Best gift we could get. Christmas is in like, what, five days? So I doubt we're going to see any notable action. Although, but didn't Yama, I don't know, all this reporting, some of this reporting this offseason, I, f- I feel like every year it's kind of ridiculous, but especially with this Yamamoto stuff, it's even more ridiculous. He, and he's supposed to decide by Christmas or something. I, I don't know. But maybe if he does, then 
the hot stove can maybe start to really heat up in that week between Christmas and New Year's. And then maybe after New Year's, when everybody's back to work kind of full time, the holidays are over and the major chips, you know, Yamamoto signed, Otani signed, then the market really gets going. I don't, hopefully that's soon. I just want to trade. Like if you're, if I'm asking for a Christmas present, give me a trade. I'm not asking for a mega extension yet. I'm not asking for Blake Snell. Just give me a trade. Give me that starting pitcher. Let's get some action. Let's boost the rotation. Let's have some fun this winter, finally, for once. Yeah, I like Jake's uh, idea. Extensions for the baby birds. Hey, sign the lease. Let's put that money to use. Let's get some new ownership. How about that for a Christmas present? But anyway, uh, moving on to the next question here. We have Dr. 2K again. Which all-time Oriole had your favorite walk-up music? Nick? I couldn't tell you any player, past or present, what their walk-up song is. So uh, something I've never paid attention to, so I, I can't answer that one. Sorry. Yeah, I really don't remember all time. I will say this, though. I give Gunnar Henderson credit for trying with Gwen Stefani's sweetest, sweetest tape last year to get the fans into that. Being there as often as I was, I got a little tired of it towards the end of the year. So, Gunnar, I'm sure you listen to the show every week. Maybe think about switching up in 2024. But I, I admired the attempt to get the fans into it. I also don't particularly pay too much attention to the walk-up music. I do like when J.J. Hardy would be announced by the uh, PA person, the J.J., the crowd getting into that. I like that. Something like that's cool. But as far as music goes, shoot, I don't know. Uh, Melvin Mora always had like the salsa music. It was pretty fun. Uh, I don't know. Good question. I just think we're the wrong guys to answer it. <laughs> I feel like I could do a better job with the worst because a bad song gets stuck in my head more in the way that a good one does, but we'll save that for another episode. So we'll go now to the next question here on our list, which is from Vivek. And I think this is what Nick was talking a little bit about earlier. So I'm going to start with him on this. Yenny Cano, Danny Coulomb, CNL Perez, Dylan Tate seem like locks for the bullpen. How do you sort out Baker, Ballman, Aiken, Zimmerman, Webb, Vespi, with Halls, Hall and Wells, and Irvin as potential bullpen depth. Uh, so like I said earlier, I, I think I could see Bauman getting moved in a small deal, maybe. Uh, Zimmerman getting DFA'd, and if he goes unclaimed and is back in Norfolk, that's fine. Uh, it's fine depth. Vespi has the option, so he's going to be in Norfolk and bounce up and down again. Uh, they're going to push that limit with with the the five. I think Hall and Wells are in the bullpen. Uh, more on DL Hall later. Cole Irvin, I think, is in Norfolk's rotation as a key depth piece. Um, Baker and Aiken, I'm not sure. Like, I, I did just joke about dumping Aiken, but he had a smaller sample size last year. But that K rate was the highest it had been since his first year in the majors. He was trending towards back-to-back seasons of like a 6% walk rate as well. That And that walk rate was pushing like 10% back in 2021. The home run rate dropped significantly. Yes, he had a 6.85 ERA, but he had a 4.86 expected ERA, 2.96 FIP, 3.89 XFIP, worth almost half a win in just 23 innings. 
Again, if, if you like projections, if that's your thing, Steamer projections actually kind of like him for 2024. I'm not a big Keegan Aiken guy, but I am very curious to see, to understand how the org views him because I could see them hoping kind of whatever offseason plan they put him on works and hope he can be an option for them in 2024 because he's the lefty, because some of the numbers were good. I, I just, I imagine there's got to be a better option in free agency or Elias is going to find that waiver claim that can be a better option. But I just looked through some of Aiken's numbers and his splits, and I can see maybe why they wouldn't be ready to kind of, why they're not ready to fully cut ties with him maybe quite yet. I don't know. Okay. I'm going to, let's just, I'll go through these one at a time. Baker, he's got an option up and down, starting AAA. Ballman, yeah, I could definitely see him. Him, a guy like him, or, or Kyle Stowers, Taron Vavra, these guys, or Vavra cleared waivers, so never mind. Uh, Bauman or, or Stowers, I could see being like thrown in as a trade uh, that happens at some point in this offseason, whether it be for a starter or just a minor trade on its own. Aiken, gone. It was a good, uh, <laughs> good uh, analysis there by Nick, but no. Um, Zimmerman. There. <laughs> he has an option, so maybe, but I think he'll probably be DFA'd. Webb is similar to Bauman, but I feel like if between the two, for some reason, I feel like Bauman would be traded and Webb would stick around. I'm not sure why. Vespi up and down. He's got an option. Hall and Wells, I see in the bullpen. Hall in either the bullpen or the, I think he'll be on the team. Irvin, that's where it gets. It gets tricky. Cole Irvin, I don't know. It's <laughs> the Orioles have a lot of a lot of work on their on their plate this offseason before the season starts because only twenty six roster spots. I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, all the guys you have to sort out. I kind of agree with both of you. I do think that between Ballman and Webb, one of them is moved this offseason, even if it's not until the end of spring training. That one of them is moved because. They pitched well enough that someone would be willing to give them a shot out of their bullpen for at least part of next year. And then Irvin, I think that if he sticks, it's going to be as a spot starter, bulk innings guy. So not really in conflict with Perez, who's going to continue to be your later innings lefty. And Hall, who honestly, I think if he doesn't make the rotation, is going to be thrown into that back end of the bullpen role. I, I, just, I don't envision a scenario where D.L. Hall goes into spring training, fails to make the rotation, and is sent to Norfolk to continue starting or goes to the bullpen as a long man. I think that if the Orioles decide he's not to be a starter, they're going to plug him right back into that role they had him at the end of last year. So many options, um, but it's fun to think about in December when the Orioles won't give us anything else to talk about. Last question here, I believe, unless we got some more in the chat or anything we want to look at, but uh, from Matt, this is a fun one. What is your Orioles-related unpopular opinion? Bob, do you have a juicy one there? Go to Zach first. I got I to think of something good. I <laughs> so I promised we would get to this at the top of the show, and that's why I was sitting on it now. Within the next four to five months, no one will remember or care about the ownership lease extension drama that had ever happened. No one will care uh, because number one, the lease is finished. The development rights aren't, but they're you know going to fall into place in time or they're not. But regardless, that's four years down the road. And 
if the Orioles are winning and John Angelos doesn't go out and say anything stupid, no one's going to care that he's still the owner. Uh, if he sells the team and they're winning, great. Uh, it doesn't really matter. I think that for, and I, and I understand it. I'm not criticizing people for having some anxiety about this, but for all the huffing and puffing there has been about the lease and the ownership situation over the last six months is going to be forgotten like that. And uh, from the looks of the renovation plan, uh, if some of that falls into place, it's going to make the ballpark better going forward. So I think that this will have been a lot of anxiety for, in the end, something that doesn't matter that much. That is a, a great call. <laughs> I think that's absolutely true. Um, it's always one of those things where it's like, oh, my God, it, the lease isn't done. They're going to move. They're going to move. And then, obviously, the lease gets done. and no one ever thinks about it again. Yeah, that makes too much sense. I can't come up with anything too great here, but I'll say that uh, Jordan Westberg's overrated. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to come up with a hot take here. I actually don't even think that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Joey Ortiz greater than Jordan Westberg, um, basically. I think Joey Ortiz is going to cement himself as – the everyday Orioles shortstop in 2024. I like it. Um, I, I don't mean to take the easy out here and copy Matt's answer that he had in the chat, but I am going to go with what one of his answers just because I talked about this last week a little bit as well, uh, and I've been hinting at it here. It's my unpopular opinion, and I feel like over the last couple of weeks, based on you know listening to podcasts and conversations and articles about D.L. Hall, I just feel like my unpopular opinion is keep DL Hall away from the rotation. Don't even give him the opportunity to work out as a starter. It's done. Move on. Do I do I want him to succeed? Absolutely. There is a role for him on this team where he can succeed and be very successful. Uh, am I going to cheer for him in spring training when he's making starts and competing for a rotation spot? Absolutely. I'm going to be hanging on to every single DL Hall pitch. Because I've done it for so many years. I think all of us are so emotionally invested into D.L. Hall's development at this point that I think when he had John Mule on last year and he kind of mentioned like if D.L. Hall doesn't succeed in Baltimore and goes to another organization and succeeds, could you imagine like how much that would hurt? I feel like that would be one of the biggest pains right now as an Orioles fan after everything we've endured. I just think with D.L. Hall, like... We've seen it already. He's pitched 19 relief innings and he's walked just five guys. That's a seven and a half percent walk rate as a major league reliever. 33 inning sample size. I get that total in across the two seasons, but just last year, 19 innings walked five guys. He had a 12 and a half percent walk rate in double a, a 14.2% walk rate and a 13.8% walk rate in triple a seven and a half in the big leagues. And this year in the playoffs, three and a third innings, one hit, no runs, one walk, six strikeouts, and three playoff innings against the eventual World Series champions. Felix Batista is not coming back. Craig Kimbrell, I think a lot of people have reservations about can he be the closer for the full season. I just think keep Dio Hall away from the rotation. Not saying he can't do it, but you've got a stud. You've got, there have been some, the, the Josh Hader comps have been out there from, you know, in his prospect write ups for years. He's a potential Josh Hader type. Yeah, I see it now. We all see it now. 
give me Josh Hader 2.0 here in the Orioles bullpen. You don't need to go sign him. You got him in deal hall. But again, I if he is a starter on this team, I'm a I'm the biggest deal hall fan there is. I will I don't care what role he ultimately slides into, but that's that's my unpopular take is keep him away from the rotation. Well said there uh, on our least popular opinions. Before we wrap up here, any thoughts on our final live show of the new year? It's not our final show, but it's our final live show of this year. What an amazing year. I mean, truly. Um, Orioles, they they cashed in all the chips that we've been saying they've been collecting. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great year. And I think 2024 is going to be even better. So bring it on. Yeah, I mean, we can get mushy in uh, our next episode that we're going to do, the the Christmas week episode there. But, yeah, for the people that watch live, it's awesome that people care what we have to say. I'm amazed every single week that people keep tuning in. I look at the number of people who listen on a weekly basis. It always blows my mind. Um, so, yeah, thanks for joining live all year. The Orioles are, are one of the best teams in baseball now at the major league level, yet people still want to hear about the prospects. And uh, that's awesome. So. Shout out to everybody listening. And we're going to dig into all of that more next week in our 2023 year in review. I know that's one of my favorite shows that we do on a year in and year out basis. So you're going to want to check that out when it is released next week. In the meantime, you can find us not only at our Patreon community, but on social media as well. We are on X, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, and threads now. So you'll want to check those out and check out the other podcasts on the Believe Sports Network. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to Orioles on the Verge. Having a versatile, high-quality piece of clothing feels great. But having a whole closet full of favorites feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E, 2-0.